super special spiritual person, someone that like just did all of the Christian stuff. Every one of the like events at the church, they were there. They were doing it. They did it all. And you just thought, man, they are amazing Christians. They are just so always doing the thing that I wish I could do. And you were in awe of them until one day you just, whoa. All right. We got, we got some sound going on now. All right. So you were in awe of them until one day you discovered that they were in over their head in sin. I think we've all known somebody like that, that, we're, that we just thought we're going in one direction, following Christ, and then one day we found out they did a total 180. And the question you asked was, how on earth did they do a 180 like that? How on earth did they go from pursuing Christ full throttle to absolutely denying Christ? And I would argue that they did not do a 180. It seems like they did a 180. They did not do a 180. They were operating out of the flesh while they were walking, looking like they were looking, walking with Christ. And they are operating out of the flesh as they are in over their head in sin. They just had two different ways of expressing their flesh. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue our by Him, For Him series, a study through Colossians. We're up to Colossians 2, 16 through 23. I'll read through it and then we'll kind of dissect it a little bit. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on ascetism, or, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and ascetism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So he begins this section with another therefore. Last week we ran into a therefore. This week, we also run into another therefore, and I know it's cheesy, but I'm going to say it every single time, is any time we run into a therefore, we have to ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore, we have to examine the therefore. So, therefore, the therefore starts with, because you have been filled with everything you need to walk a life according to Christ. That's what we studied last week, right? That Christ has filled us with everything we need to live our life according to Christ, that we can walk our life according to Christ based on his filling us with everything we need. And then finally, he ends verse 15 with, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So because Christ is victorious and he has filled us with everything, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. So because you have been filled with everything you need to walk a life according to Christ, then do not be sucked into this heresy. There was a heresy in Colossians. And Paul here is going to lay out the arguments of the heresy. 
This is the crux of the argument. This section right here is the crux of the epistle to the Colossian church. So far, he has debunked the heresy. Paul has laid out who Christ is, how everything was made by him and for him, how because of his justifi- of this justification and righteousness, how it's based on Jesus, and that it is full. There is nothing to add. It is not Jesus plus extra works. It's not Jesus plus. Now Paul is going to get into what others are trying to add. He's diving into the heresy here, the additions. So part of this debate uh, surrounds what the heresy is. And it is a pagan and it is a Jewish heresy. So some people debate whether this is a pagan heresy. Some people debate whether this is Jewish. It's actually both. Uh, There was a small Jewish population in Colossae that had adopted some of the pagan rituals. In theological circles, this is called syncretism. So this is a syncretistic heresy. A syncretistic heresy or syncretism is just a blending of two or more religions. So the Jews that were already in Colossae followed the Old Testament, even though they had twisted it around. They they were still trying to follow it, and they desired to keep the Old Testament law, thinking that it would make them righteous, thinking they could earn their righteousness based on this Old Testament law. And then Christ is preached to them, and they think, oh, Christ, that's another thing that we could add into our recipe, right? So if we really want to earn, if we really want to have righteousness, if we want to have like these super special spiritual moments, then, then the Old Testament law, that's pretty good. We can blend that together. And then actually, before they came to know Christ, they were, they were taking some pagan practices and they were throwing that into the mixing pot. So you had this syncretism between pagan practices and Old Testament rituals. And then when Christ was preached, they're like, hey, I like this idea, Christ. Let's just throw that into the pot as well. We've known a lot of people that have done stuff like this. I had a good friend years ago that was Hindu. And that's what, exactly what he did. I, him, I would talk with him about the gospel. And he'd be like, Aaron, I already believe in Jesus. I'm like, sweet, he's already a Christian. He goes, oh yeah, I believe in all the gods. And for him, it was just another thing to throw into the mix to hopefully cover all of your bases in hopes that you can manipulate the universe somehow into getting what you want. And so the conversation went from who Jesus is, I should pull that back a little bit, from accepting Jesus to exactly who Jesus is and how he is exclusive. You cannot follow all of these other pagan gods and also Jesus. It's not Jesus plus all of these other things. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So that's a big part of the heresy here, is that they've taken Old Testament rituals in hopes to feel super special. They've taken some pagan rituals in hopes to like stir up some kind of experience. And then they're throwing in like a little dash of Jesus. So that's that syncretism that's going all along with a belief that if you really want to experience God, if you really want to be this super special spiritual person, if you really want to feel good and have a great connection with God, you need Jesus plus these rituals plus these Old Testament laws. So with that in mind, Paul is going to begin to tackle this heresy. So therefore, because Jesus is it, Jesus is all, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. 
So he's saying, don't let anyone judge you on these things. These things are all Jewish aspects of the heresy. These are Jewish rituals that they've pulled in. So it all harkens back to this Jewish law. These Jewish laws were very specific about what to eat and drink, about the annual festivals, and about the Sabbath day. So there are these Jews that are holding on to these Old Testament laws, believing that these Old Testament laws will help them experience God. That it will make them more righteous, that it will make them justified enough that they could have this experience. That Jesus isn't enough. If you really want to have a Jesus experience, a God experience, you will observe these aspects of the law in a proper way. And Paul's encouragement is because Jesus is enough. Because he has filled you and has equipped you with everything you need to walk in a manner worthy of him. Don't let them judge you on how you observe or maybe don't even observe these different aspects of the Old Testament law. There is freedom in Christ. If for some reason you're a Jew and you love the Jewish tradition only because you like the heritage, go ahead. Practice. Knowing that it's not what makes you righteous. But also if you're a Jew and you realize that God has fulfilled the law, that Jesus has fulfilled the law, and therefore you no longer need to follow the law, don't let anyone judge you because you don't observe the law. Or maybe you observe a little bit here. You're like, I I like the Sabbath. I'm going to continue observing the Sabbath. But, you know, uh, the Pharisees had taken the Sabbath so far because they really wanted to honor God. They had a heart that was for honoring God. So they started to add in extras. They started to get off course. And so they got to a point, even on Sabbath day, where they would cover up a mirror just in case a woman walked past and saw her hair was out of place and fixed her hair. They thought that was work. That was dishonoring to God. Sounds a little extreme, doesn't it? So let's say you were a Jew, and you decide you wanted to observe Sabbath because you find that the principles of Sabbath are pretty good, that God designed Sabbath for man, so we need a Sabbath day. But you decided not to observe it in that way that ladies could still fix their hair on a Sabbath day. Don't let anyone judge you in that. That's what he's saying. So the principle of Sabbath, that we still need rest, is a good principle. Even though God has fulfilled the law, I don't need to practice Sabbath to be righteous or justified or enter into God's presence. But I can recognize that God has designed us with a need to rest. And then I can search, what is it that gives me rest? And when I find what gives me rest, I don't have to let other people judge me. And everybody has different aspects of their life. If you sit at a computer screen all day long, all week long, and up comes a day where you're like, today's a day of rest. What really would refresh me is not sitting and watching another screen, but going for a nice long hike. Don't let anyone judge you on that. But maybe you're the opposite. Maybe every single day you're out there working hard, breaking your back, and when this day of rest comes, you think, 
the last thing I want is another physical activity. My back is hurt. I am going to sit in my couch today. Don't let anybody judge you on that. Because there is freedom in Christ, we don't get judged or we don't let anyone judge us on how we observe these different aspects. So there are people that will judge you and condemn you, thinking they have the way to really experience Jesus, that he can be manipulated, that we can just sing more, or maybe sing less, or maybe we need to sing certain songs. Maybe we need to be in the wilderness to experience Jesus, or maybe we need a certain sanctuary and keep that sanctuary reverent and holy. There are people that will try to convince you of this or that to really experience Jesus. And it's just not true. We have access to Christ because he died for us. There is no need to try and conjure him up, but only to recognize that according to what we studied last week, that he fills us to capacity, that he roots us, that he builds us up. Because of these Old Testament laws, Paul explains what the Old Testament laws were for. So he continues on. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So all these things, all these Old Testament rituals were just a shadow. They weren't the real thing, but simply a representation of what Christ would do. So as a shadow of all these things, the Old Testament saint was supposed to do all these things before entering the presence of God, before coming to him. It was a system that was set up to teach us that we needed Christ. We couldn't actually fulfill all of the Old Testament law. But they were a shadow. Not a real thing, but now that Christ has come, we have the real thing. This term substance in the Greek is soma. It can mean body or that which is real. And there is a stark contrast here between the shadow and the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. But the heretics were confused. They thought Christ was the shadow. And the religious practices were the substance. The religious practices were the real thing. And that would be like you confusing your shadow with yourself. Can you imagine, kids, if you stepped into a room and if someone, instead of greeting you, greeted your shadow? I'm sure you would like it, kids, if you walked into a room and your parents ran over to your shadow and tried to give it a big hug, right? You cut your knee while you're running and you fall down and you're crying and your parent runs over to your shadow and says, oh, are you okay, honey? And you're like, I'm over here. Why are you talking to that shadow? This is ridiculous. It's preposterous, isn't it? And that's exactly the picture that Paul is drawing here. That these shadows of the things, they can't actually be the real substance. And for us to put any value into that over Christ is ridiculous. He has given us everything we need. We can be in his presence and experience him in every circumstance and in every, every situation. We do not need the shadows because we have him. So he continues then, 
Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensual mind. So this word disqualify means to declare unfit. The heretics were claiming that because the Colossians were not doing all of the extra stuff, they were unfit to enter the presence of God. They were unfit to experience God. In fact, they would argue that they were unfit to even be a part of the body of Christ. That's a pretty hefty charge. And the problem with the legalist is the bar will always move. They will always find a way to make you unfit while still maintaining that they are fit. So next, Paul will give examples of how they are accusing the Colossian church. They are insisting on ascetism and worship of angels. Ascetism is the practice of severe treatment of the body. It is denying any bodily comfort. So it's mainly associated with fasting. And it's the idea that you give up comfort for the sake of God so that you can have a greater encounter with God. Some would take this practice so far that, th that it would entail not just giving up certain comforts, but purposely making yourself uncomfortable, like wearing itchy clothing or sleeping on hard places. And they would thought that this, for some reason, giving up these comforts would make them more holy and more righteous and give them a better experience with God. And it may look, it may seem, it may feel like it can bring you closer to God, but in fact, it cannot. And not only do these false teachers insist on ascetism, but closely related to it is worship of angels. The idea here is that because they were not worthy enough to worship God, they would have to worship through angels. So they would give their worship to angels and then the angels would bring their worship to God. And this is, again, a false belief. Christ is enough. Christ has made you enough. And because of him, you can have access to God. You don't need any intermediary. You don't need anyone to go through. You don't need any person doing the communication on your behalf. You don't need me. I don't have like extra special prayer powers that you don't have. You have the exact same prayer powers, the exact same connection with God that I do. You don't need any priest. You don't even need angels. You don't have to go through saints from the past. You have direct access to God. And on top of that, you don't need to beat yourself up first. You don't need to have the right behavior first. In fact, it is only through this access to God that you can become right, that you can have the right behavior, that you can have the right attitudes. So often people think, I can't access God right now because I've been so deep in sin. I need to clean my life up a little bit first. I need to like have some kind of penance that I need to pay. I need to beat myself up get myself in shape, and then I can have access to God again, and then I can pray again. And it's so false. It's so the opposite of what really is happening. In fact, you can't even have a right heart until you have that access to God. 
So instead of beating yourself up, waiting for you to have the right heart, you fall and you pray and you repent and you confess, recognizing that He makes you holy, that He makes you pure, that He makes you righteous. And there's nothing you can add to it. So not only are they insisting that in order to experience God, you have to make yourself uncomfortable and go through different venues, but they're also going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. So this idea, so we've already explored like the Old Testament, the Jewish part of the syncretism of the heresy. Now we're getting into this pagan part. So going on in detail about visions has its root in paganism. And what they've found, uh, a lot of historians have found that there was this mystery cult around Colossae. And this mystery cult had like very uh, intense initiation procedures. And in order to become a part of like the, the final part of the cult where you could enter in and worship God with them, is you had to have a super special spiritual vision. So I don't know if these visions were real or if they were just made up, but in order to become a part, in order to have this special spiritual side of you, you had to claim that you had this special vision, that you entered into a spiritual realm, and through this spiritual realm, you could now claim to be a part and to have access to God. And what he's doing here is he's totally debunking this. This super special spiritual vision. He's saying, no, we don't need these super special spiritual visions. So while they discourage you, trying to convince you that Christ is not enough, that Christ hasn't truly changed you, that you need more than faith in Christ, part of their game plan is to puff themselves up while they tear you down. So these false teachers were going on in detail about their visions, and the result is that they were puffed up without reason. These false teachers were going on about their visions. So far, we have seen a lot of Jewish legalism, but now we see that pagan cultic practice. They were puffed up. They made these visions that they were going on about, made them think that they were more important than they actually were. And Paul quickly points out the absurdity of this by saying there is no reason for them to be puffed up except their own sensuous mind. This term sensuous is sarks. It holds the idea that the person is being controlled by their own flesh. Their fleshly desires are still calling the shots. We'll run into this word again at the very end of this section. But one of the major points we need to recognize is the gospel should produce humility. If you are becoming puffed up because you know more about the Bible, or maybe you just are really good at theology and you know a lot of doctrine, or maybe you feel super spiritual because of any reason, that means you're actually drifting from the gospel. You're not growing in God's grace, but hardening yourself to it. The gospel and God's grace produces humility in our lives. So they're going on in detail about visions, and they're puffed up without reason 
by their sensual minds. They're being influenced or still, their, their fleshly desires are still calling the shots. And then he contrasts it with, and not holding fast to the head. The head here is Christ. Christ is the head of the body of Christ. He is the one with all authority over the church. And these false teachers have quit holding on to the head. They've let go of the one who has authority over the church and started to embrace all of these other rituals, hoping that they would ma- these other rituals would make them super special spiritual people. So Paul is emphasizing that it is Jesus alone who roots you and grows you. And not just you, but from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So it's not just you individually that grows from Christ. It is the body of Christ, the church universal, and the local church that grows because of Christ. It is God that causes the growth. It is not you, it is not me, but it is God. He continues on, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. So we first heard these terms, elemental spirits of the world and human traditions last week. And these are why the false teachers had empty and deceitful philosophy. Because their teaching wasn't based on Christ, but was based on elemental spirits of the world and human traditions. The elemental spiritual uh, spirits of the world is basically the ABCs of how the world system operates. This is a worldview. There is a worldview that is based on Christ. We see things through Christ, and we see things through His grace. And there are worldviews that are opposed to Christ. The elemental spirits of the world is a way of saying based on worldviews that are opposed to Christ. And the elemental spiritual spirits of the world is a way of saying based on worldviews that are opposed to Christ. So instead of Christ... These worldviews are based on human tradition. And one of the most basic of human traditions is earning your value and identity through some form of work. This is an elemental principle of the world, a human tradition of the world, that you are only as valuable as your works. Now, these works could be all sorts of things. It could be your knowledge. It could be your theology. It could be on how much income you earn. This could be expressed through all sorts of different ways, but the key is you are more righteous, more holy, more worthy based on what you do and what you think, not on who God is and what He has done. So the entire argument boils down to this mystical, legalistic way to experience God, which cannot be true 
because it is based on human worldviews and not on God's worldview. The basic human's worldview is a legalistic worldview that you earn your value. God's worldview says you are valuable because he values you. He finishes this off with these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and ascetism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So these things, this legalism, I think it traps us all. And it traps us all because we are human. We were born into these elemental spirits. We were born into the ABCs of a worldview that you are only as valuable as your works, as your thoughts, as what you can produce. And it is constantly being reinforced all around us. We are all recovering legalists. You are a recovering legalist. I am a recovering legalist. Your kids are legalists. Because it is so ingrained in us that we are better based on something. But notice this last line. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So we've already come across this term flesh that was sensuous mind earlier. And the idea is that we all struggle with fleshly, sensuous desires that we know are wrong. We have all sinned. We have all shaken our fists at God and said, forget you, God, I want to do things my way. And as a result, because we know we don't want to sin, because we know we have fleshly desires that we want to control, we develop sin management programs. That is what every religion in the world is. Every religion in the world is a sin management program. And the idea is that you can, be, you can avoid being controlled by your wrong desires, by your flesh, if you do not taste, you do not handle, you do not touch. So we develop all of these legalistic do's and don'ts. In order to truly conquer your sin, you must do these things and you must not do these things. But the problem is we are still operating out of the flesh, thinking we can manage our own sin on our own. But we can't. Our religions, our sin management programs have no value in stopping the flesh. That is why we see people who seem like the perfect saint, like the super special spiritual people, fall all the time. Because even though they were doing good things, they were doing them out of the flesh. They thought they could conquer their fleshly desires through their own hard work. And when they'd mess up, they'd say, I just need to try harder. I've stumbled, I've fallen, I've failed. So now I need to wake up and I need to just punish myself more, train myself more. And the more I work, the more I train, the more I punish, 
the more I will eventually conquer sin. And Paul is saying, you cannot conquer sin that way. In fact, it has no value. Your sin will eventually own you. I have some slides that I think help us with this. So I've passed these cards out to you. I think this is one of the most fundamental and critical ideas we can get across that help us live in freedom and in grace. So these are color-coordinated. There are some red ones. There are some blue ones. Red means stop. This is a false idea. Green means go. This is a good idea. I can't take credit for these slides. I wish I could. Uh, There's a pastor named Brian Clark out of Lincoln, Nebraska, who created these slides, and he has shared them with me. He has a podcast called Talking Truth. If you ever wanted to listen to it, it's him with Larry the Cable Guy, and they just talk theology, so it's, it's funny. Uh, and it's really good. It's, it's theologically sound. But this is the first slide here, and this is where we mo- most Christians think the tension lies in our life. We come to know Christ, and we think the tension is between legalism and license, right? We know legalism is bad, and we know license is bad, And so we think that somewhere we have to live in the middle, right? So legalism is if we just follow the rules, God will be pleased with us. If we just follow the rules, we can earn our salvation. We can earn our favor. Maybe we don't even think we can earn our salvation, but we think we can earn more favor with God if we just do the do's and the don'ts. Or license. License usually goes along the line of because Christ died, we are free. And because Christ died... We can sin all we want. So we believe this is the tension. And we know the extremes are bad. So we end up choosing a side and try not to become too extreme. I think which side you fall on usually depends upon your background. So let's go to the next slide. Yeah, there it is. Yep, that's it. You're you're right on time. You're right on cue. So the outcome usually looks of the tension looks something like this. So you might err more to the side of legalism. You might err to the side of license. And it's kind of the idea of I'm okay as long as I bend to my preferred direction. So maybe you grew up recklessly. You threw caution to the wind. You indulged in every sin you could think of. And then you came to know Christ. And you knew the pain of sin. You knew how horrible you felt, how it absolutely wrecked your life. You most likely bend towards legalism. But maybe you grew up in a legalistic house. You know the awful pain that legalism can produce. And you know that you don't want your kids to have that pain as well you probably bend a little bit more towards license. And if we're being honest, if we're really being honest, you're probably a little legalistic in your license. You'd hate to admit it. But if you're being honest, you might feel like you are better than the legalist. You might feel like you actually have more favor from God than the legalist because, well, hey, you're not a legalist, so you must be more favored in God's eyes, right? You recognize God has given you freedom to drink, to go to the movies, to listen to pop music. But this isn't the real tension. This is the real tension. 
The real tension is between the Spirit and the flesh. The Spirit is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Letting the Holy Spirit control every aspect of your life. Submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit. The flesh is everything that is opposed to the Spirit. So where does legalism and license fit into this tension? There it is. So both license and legalisms, legalism are expressions of the flesh. Trying to earn your righteousness, thinking you are better because you've earned it, is to deny Jesus. It is to deny the very truth that it is God who made you righteous, and you can do nothing to add to it. So legalism is trying to control the flesh through fleshly means. And license is just another expression of the flesh, isn't it? License is giving in to the fleshly desires. Both license and legalism are expressions of the flesh. So you see that person that was doing all the extra special spiritual stuff? They didn't do a 180. In their extra special spiritual activities, they were expressing the flesh. When that didn't overcome the flesh, they just gave in to the flesh and let their fleshly desires control them. It was a really small jump that they made. Both are expressions of the flesh. It's not a 180. So how this practically works out is kind of like this. If we go into discipleship theory, this is the legalist discipleship theory, is that you're walking along in your works, you're failing in your works, and then one day you realize that your works can't save you. So you come to the cross, and you put your faith in Christ. But you're still a legalist. So you think that your works can make you more righteous. So the cross is for salvation. If you want to be really righteous, if you want to be that super special spiritual person, you, need, you better work for it. So you begin to work really hard. That's the theory. Let's look at the reality. This is the reality. You're walking along, doing your works for salvation. You come to a point where you realize your work, you can't earn your salvation. So you put your faith and trust in Christ. And you want to earn that righteousness. So you start working really hard for your righteousness. And then you fail. And in your failure, you feel shame. And so you slip into darkness. Until at some point, you try to work that darkness off. You try to work that shame off. So you beat yourself up, or you make yourself uncomfortable, or you do all kinds of things that super special spiritual people do to make themselves feel better and more righteous. And so you start working really hard. Maybe it's you decide that you're just going to read your Bible and memorize a verse a day, or you're going to memorize an entire book of the Bible, and you work really hard until you fell again. And you slip back into shame and into doubt, and that's where you stay until you decide to work it off again. And you slip into that sin, shame, sin, shame cycle. So that's the flesh, that's legalism, 
in theory and in practice. Let's look at what about living in the Spirit. This is the truth of Scripture. You're walking along in your works. You're failing. You think you can earn your salvation until one day you, you find that you cannot earn your salvation that is through Christ alone and His work on the cross. And you put your faith and trust in Christ. And what does He do? Immediately, He makes you righteous. He makes you holy. He makes you justified. There, you realize there's nothing you can do to make yourself more righteous. He has placed you in righteousness. You didn't achieve it. You don't even need to try to achieve it. He has made you holy. So then, how is this practically lived out? That's this slide right here. So you are holy. Now you can begin to mature in your holiness. You can grow in the position that God has placed you in. And as you mature, you will begin to display more and more of the righteousness that is already yours. So that leaves us with the question, how do we mature in the righteousness? If Christ has made me righteous, if Christ has made me holy, and I live through my Christian life maturing in that holiness, how do I mature? Otherwise, we get stuck right back into that, that sin-shame cycle loop, right? If it's through my works and I fell, then I beat myself up in shame. So how we grow in this holiness, how we mature in this righteousness that he has placed on us is the next slide. There we go. So it's by reminding ourselves over and over again of God's truth. It's not my works that make me mature in holiness. It's not my works that make me mature in the righteousness that God has placed in my life. It's not my works that make me grow in God's grace. It is reminding myself of God's truth, in particular, every time I fell. Because the temptation is in your flesh when you fell, which you will, is to begin to beat yourself up over your failure. And all that is doing is putting yourself back into a place where you're going to earn it. The solution to get out of the sin-shame cycle is through what I like to call the understanding and growth cycle. It's not to beat yourself up. It's not to try harder. It's to remind yourself day in and day out that even when you fell, He has made you holy. Even when you fell, He has made you righteous. Even when you fell, He has lavished His grace upon you. It's to remind yourself of who you were and now who you are, that you have been made new, that you are a new creation. It's to remind yourself that it is Christ and the Holy Spirit who are working in you. It's to remind yourself of these truths every day. And as you do that, you begin to live out the theology. As you remind yourself of who God has created you to be, you begin to live that out. It's not, I'm going to beat myself up more to live it out. It's, I'm going to remind myself that this is who I am. This is who God has created me to be. He has made me holy. He has made me just. And as I do that, the right behaviors begin to naturally flow out from me. 
I don't conquer sin. Christ has already conquered sin. I can't, through my flesh, conquer sin. Christ has already conquered sin. My job is to remind myself of that every day. And as I do, the flesh no longer has its grasp on me, but the Spirit does. So may you, as you go out in your week, and you fell, you will fell, I will fell, may you, instead of beating yourself up, or listening to the legalist and thinking you need to do all these extra special spiritual things to become more. May you remember that Christ has done it all. And he has filled you with everything you need to live out your life in Christ. And as you fell, may you turn back to his word and remind yourself who he is, and who he has made you to be so that you could live out the holiness he has already placed you in. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your work on the cross. You conquered every authority and power and put them to shame. Therefore, we don't need to be judged or disqualified because you have qualified us. You have made us holy. You have made us righteous. Help us to understand that so that we can live it out. That there's nothing we can do on our own to overcome our own fleshly, sinful desires. But as we, we remind ourselves of who you are and what you have done, you mature us in that holiness. And it begins to naturally flow out in our lives. In your holy name we pray. Amen.